chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. What a thought. I, I wish I had written that song. I didn't. Uh, it's been around a long time. I think probably 50 years maybe that song's been around. But what a thought. You know, you think about the angels singing around the throne of God and all the, all the things that they do in heaven and all the things that they know and, and are part of and everything else. But that's one thing they know nothing about because they've never been redeemed. They've never had their, their sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And we do. And what a song. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Boy, that's a, what, a, what a, you know, we, we get, to, I think, sometimes to the point where we hear it so much, we don't think about what it really means. And uh, boy, what, a, what an amazing thing. Grace, amazing grace is an amazing thing. And I hope we never lose sight of that. First Peter chapter 5, I want to start reading in verse number 1. And I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago that I was going to preach last week a message that was very personal. And uh, God changed my mind on that a little bit. And I preached a different message last week, but uh, he allowed me to preach this one today. And it is a very personal message. And um, I think you'll understand what I mean by that once we get into the message a little bit. But let's just start there in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, these Christians here in 1 Peter, and, and if you know anything about the book of 1 Peter, Peter wrote a lot to them about tribulations and about them enduring because they were going to be going through, and not just were going to be, but were going through difficult times. And they were facing a lot of that, that, that persecution, the dangerous, uh, dangerous times. And Peter here reminds them of their responsibility. Remember that these people knew a whole lot about raising sheep. That was a very popular thing uh, and, a, and a very w- well-known uh, uh, occupation back in those days. But he's telling them that God sees his children a whole lot like sheep. If God's people are like sheep, then I think you can say that the church is like a flock. He says in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, fear not, little flock. And if the people are like the sheep and the church is the flock, then the pastor is the shepherd. It's the duty and it's the job of the pastor to shepherd the flock. And Jesus is the chief shepherd to whom this shepherd is going to have to give an account one day. Perhaps he could have been a little bit more kind in the way that he describes us. He describes us as sheep. You know, maybe he could have described us as bold as a lion, you know, or beautiful as a, as a peacock or, or something like that. But he described us as sheep. And there's a few things that you need to know about sheep. You know, sheep are... are for the most part, considered to be kind of dumb animals. Uh, I'm not saying that you're dumb, but sheep are dumb. And uh, they, they, they're wayward. They're wayward animals. Anyone ever heard of a trained sheep? I've, I've heard of trained dogs, and I mean, I don't know, maybe a cat would fit into that category too. I mean, do, do people really train cats, or do the cats train the people and make them think that they're trained? I don't know. But, you know, you've seen trained bears and trained lions and everything else, but I don't, I've never seen a trained sheep because sheep are wayward animals. Uh, if you go a couple pages back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, it says, For ye were sheep going astray. You were as sheep going astray. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are wayward animals. Sheep nibble and browse, and they just keep going. And that's, that's why we need the flock, and that's why we need the shepherd. Not only are sheep wayward animals, they're weak animals. A, a sheep doesn't really have any way of protecting itself. You know, horses can kick, dogs can bite, cats can scratch. 
skunks, well, you know what they can do. But sheep, sheep don't really have any way of protecting themselves. They're weak animals. But not only that, not only are they wayward and weak, but sheep are also worthwhile. They're worth something. Sheep are valuable animals, and God, are, God considers us to be valuable to him. Back in that day, a, a man considered his wealth by the amount of sheep that he had. That's how they, that's how they measured the wealth of Job and Abraham and some of these other uh, guys back in, the, in those times of the Bible, because sheep gave wool and meat and lambs. And in spite of our waywardness and our weakness, the Lord loves us because we are worth something to him. Sheep, unlike a lot of other animals, are clean animals. Uh, they, they, uh, they take care of themselves. They, they are clean. I and mean, that's why uh, sheep was one of the only things that they could actually sacrifice on the altar because they could find a sheep that was pure. They could find a sheep that was clean. And that's, that there were stipulations on what they could offer. Uh, but that represents the fact that, that as we have been saved, as we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, once we've been born again, we're sanctified and we are to be clean. Sheep are not meant to make it on their own. In fact, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5 if you turned away from there. But every sheep is to be a part of the flock. And God gives to that flock a shepherd because it's important that the sheep stay together. And every now and then you'll hear somebody say that, you know, they, they want to be with the shepherd, the chief shepherd, but they just don't want to be with the flock. And Jesus, yes. Church, no. But that's very dangerous, friend. It's a good way for the sheep to get devoured. The Bible says there in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And I'm not saying that a lion could not come in and attack a flock of sheep, but it's a whole lot easier for a lion to attack and devour a sheep that's off on his own, away from the flock, than it is to try to attack one of the sheep that's there in the flock. But God wants us to be in the protection of the flock with the shepherd watching over us. And the pastor is the shepherd. I want you to highlight three words. If you underline in your Bible, then you can do that. But in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 there, verse number 1 and 2, you see this word, the elders which are among you. You can underline that word elder. I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. That word feed is a verb, but the noun form of that, that verb is pastor or shepherd. And then you see, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Underline that word, oversight. The noun form of that word is bishop. And all three of those, elder, pastor, bishop, they're all used interchangeably in the Bible for the same thing. I am elder boots. I am pastor boots. I am bishop boots. You could call me any one of those things, I suppose, if you really wanted to. Um, but they all point to the pastor as shepherd of the church of God. There's no better name for me here at church than pastor. I want, I want to be a good preacher, but I don't want to be called preacher. I want to be called pastor. And I, I love it when the young people run past and say, hi, pastor. I love that. I think you're doing a great job to teach that to your children. And by the way, children learn best by example. But I can remember very vividly the very first time that I really felt like more than a preacher. After our first year... We had a charter membership service, and uh, so we started in October of 2016. Uh, somewhere around September or October of 2017, we had our charter membership service with all of those who were in our church that wanted to join at that time. And I don't know if it was the next week or the week after, but we had a communion service, and I, I, I remember this very plainly. I, I know I had tears in my eyes, 
as I led that service because of the gravity of the responsibility that I felt for the people that God had placed in my care. It didn't have anything to do with preaching a message. It didn't have anything to do with getting up in front of everybody. It had everything to do with leading the people that God gave me to lead. And it was in that, that moment, I suppose, that I felt for the first time that I was a pastor leading God's sheep. If you're in this church, especially if you've been here for any length of time, then God has called me to be your pastor, your shepherd. And as your shepherd, there are several responsibilities that I have. I want to share my heart with you on that this morning. I want you to understand what I'm trying to do as part of uh, being your pastor and being your shepherd and and what what I'm supposed to do as it pertains to what God has called me to do and to be as your pastor. Let's pray. And then we'll look at a few of those things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for an opportunity to be here in the service this morning. I know this is from the word of God, and it's something that you've given me to share with our people, with your people here in this place this morning. And I'm preaching as much to myself as I am to anybody else this morning. But God, I pray that you would give us exactly what we need to help us understand what you want from us, what you want us to do, how we ought to live, how we ought to be going forward for you. God, I pray that you'd help us to move forward in a mighty way because of that. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to keep your finger there in 1 Peter because we are coming back to it. If you have a bookmark or something, I'm going to have another couple verses that I want you to look at as we go through this this morning. But the pastor is to guard the sheep. Acts chapter 20 says there's a lot of grievous wolves that will enter in. 1 Peter 5, 8, we already looked at, says the devil is walking about as a roaring lion. The pastor knows that the devil is going to try to harm the flock. He knows uh, he's going to try to divide the flock. He's going to try to discourage the flock. He's going to try to devour the flock. And the pastor has to be very vigilant about those who would try to discourage and to devour and to do harm to his sheep. There's no time for the pastor to be asleep at the wheel. There are all kinds of false ideas and destructive interpretations and, and uh, you know, false teachers and all manner of things that would get in and harm the flock. And if every sheep is surrounded by perils, then watchfulness is an absolutely essential duty of the pastor, of the shepherd. It becomes one of the most critical things that the pastor can do. These precious lives, lives for which I am going to stand before God and give account someday, have been committed to the care of the pastor. Watching, surveying, scanning the horizon, looking out in the darkness to see what's out there, looking for the danger. That is part of the pastoral job. The pastor ought to be very protective of his sheep. I'm going to do everything I can to protect you from the modernism of the new church. I I, I need to do everything that I can to protect you from the ungodly music that is being circulated in our churches today, the casual attitude about God and church. I need to protect you from the changing of the scriptures and a hundred other things that are a danger to you that you might not even be aware of. A sheep is, is, as I mentioned already, among one of the most defenseless of all animals. They have no way to protect themselves. They have no way to defend themselves other than to try to run, and they're not even fast. And sheep oftentimes are, are, are taken down by animals that are half their size. It's completely dependent on the shepherd for protection. And I think everything that that the psalmist calls God, a sheep may call it shepherd. The walls of the sheepfold are built by the shepherd. The door is opened and closed by the shepherd. The things that are let in 
And the things that are kept from going out are, are protected there and guarded by the shepherd. And my job is, as your pastor is to protect you from everything that would do you spiritually harm. The safeguarding of the sheep is one of the primary functions of the pastor. How to protect men, young and old, from overwhelming temptation. How to protect ladies, young and old, from unnecessary dangers. How to protect you as you go out into the workforce from, from, from doing things that would be displeasing to the Lord. How to keep amusements and recreation from degenerating into forms of immorality. My job as your pastor is to protect you from the things that would do you harm. Pastor is to guard the sheep, but number two, the pastor is to guide the sheep. When I was in Romania in 2019, Brother John's in Romania right now, and uh, I went with him three years ago in 2019, and the house that we were staying at there in Romania uh, had a very, very big hill. I wouldn't call it a mountain. It was more of a big hill, but it was very high up, and you could see it very plainly across the whole horizon. The Alps are there, and so it's kind of in the foothills of the Alps where we were staying, and I decided one morning early that I wanted to go up to the top of that hill and just kind of get an overview of the entire city. We had some time before we were going to be going to do the things that we were doing for the day. And so I climbed up to the top of that hill. And it took probably uh, an hour or two because of how big it was. And on my way up there, I, I looked down and I saw these big fields. And I could tell that there was, you know, some of these fields that were blocked off. And in the middle of one of those fields was a huge flock of sheep. And I, you know, obviously I've seen sheep before. Um, never really in a, you know, in a shepherd situation. I mean, you, you drive down uh, uh, Route uh, uh, 7-Eleven, and, and there's, a, there's a little farm there that's got a bunch of sheep, but they don't have a shepherd sitting out there watching them and everything else. Uh, but this was a huge, huge flock of sheep, and I could tell that that's what it was. I was so high up that they were quite a distance down there, but I could see that that's what it was. And I made my way to the top of that hill, and kind of around the backside of it, there was a trail there, and so I lost sight of that. But when I came back down to where I had been before, I could see that that entire flock was moving, and they were actually moving to another field, and there was this tiny little funnel that they were all going through. And it was, it was really a, a neat thing to watch, and I stood there for, for quite a while, and I took some pictures, and I took some videos of all of those sheep being moved from one field to another, and all of them going through a gate that, that only one or two at a time could fit through. And I was so high up that you really couldn't see too much. But as I sat there and looked and my eyes kind of adjusted to the scene, I could see that at the head of all of those sheep, there was a shepherd leading them through that, through that gate. And boy, I, you know, obviously I know the, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, picture that we have in the Bible of that. And all those things just came flooding back into my mind. And I stood there watching and thought of exactly the way that God leads us as his sheep. But the pastor is there to guide the sheep. Sheep are not independent travelers. They have to have a human conductor. They have to have a human to help them get from one point to another. They can't, they can't set out in the morning in search of pasture and come back at night and, 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 and make their way to the sheepfold, right? You ever tried to get rid of a cat? Take a cat out and drop it in the woods, and it's going to find its way back home. Same thing with a dog. Now, I haven't done that. But most of them can find their way home, right? You do the same thing with a... Uh, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the best uh, stories that have been written and movies that have been produced are about animals that got lost and separated from their family and they made their way back home, right? Uh, sheep can't do that. They're not independent travelers. They need somebody to lead them. And the greenest pasture may be only a couple hundred yards away, but the sheep left to themselves cannot find it. Where the shepherd leads, the sheep will go. He knows the shepherd is a guide and it's safe to follow him. The very word shepherd means leader, and you could turn over there if you want to, but John chapter 10, verse number 27, and this is obviously Jesus talking, but he says, 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. A pastor who does not lead is shirking his responsibility as a pastor. But a pastor that guides the sheep will take them where the grass is fragrant and the streams are sweet. That is the job of the pastor leading the sheep. You're there in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, if you can turn back there. But he says this in verse number 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. That talks about the motivations of the pastor. Why does the pastor do what he does? Not by constraint. I'm supposed to do it willingly. I'm not supposed to do it because somebody else called me. I'm not supposed to do it because my, my mom called me or my pastor called me into the ministry. I'm supposed to do it because God called me into the ministry. That's something I do. It's not something I do because I have to. It's something that I do because I want to. I hear people say that, you know, they fought the call to preach for a long time. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't, I didn't, want, to, I didn't want to preach, but God just kept hounding me, and finally I had to go do it. I, I just couldn't do anything else but preach, so finally I surrendered. Sounds like you're being put in handcuffs and led away to be stuck in a pulpit somewhere. I'm infinitely glad that God called me to preach, and from a very young age, I was, I was looking forward to God calling me to preach. Now, had I known everything it would entail, maybe I would be one of those that fought the call too. I don't know. But I wanted to know what God wanted me to do because I wanted to do it. I signed my name at the bottom of a piece of paper, and I said, God, here's the contract. You fill in the details. You tell me what you want me to do with my life, and I'll do it. Speaking in public was not something that I was crazy about. I hated it. If you had told me uh, in high school that I would be standing up here right now in front of you doing this, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, You're, you, know, you don't have both oars in the water. Something's missing. You have a screw loose. You're, I'm not going to be the one up there preaching in front of everybody else. I've never seriously thought about doing anything else, and I don't believe I could get out of it if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I, I enjoy doing what I'm doing, and I know that this is what God's called me to do. Um, the Bible says, not by constraint, but willingly, and then he says, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. I'm not doing it for the money, and it's a good thing. I, I, you know, it's like, like police officers, right? Uh, if, if they were doing it for the money, they're in the wrong profession. And uh, I'm not complaining, but if you knew what I make a year, I think a lot of you would be shocked. God provides and provides and provides, and I am not supposed to be doing this because I can get wealthy off of it. Even if there was a possibility for me to get wealthy off of it, I shouldn't be doing it to get wealthy. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of these big mega churches nowadays are doing that for that very reason. A lot of your televangelists that are out there, you know, saying, you send me everything you own and God will bless you for it. I've got to put fuel in my private jet so I can fly across town and go eat supper and come back, right? And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hardly a joke. I mean, that's really what a lot of these guys are doing. And a lot of these pastors of mega churches are doing it, and, the, and they run it all on a business model. How can they continue to generate income? I, I'm, I'm watching a, uh, a series right now. It's a short series, and maybe you heard about it, but Hillsong is a very popular uh, mega church. I think they have 150,000-something people that go to their satellite campuses and everything every single week. And that entire church organization was designed around a business model. And when you design your church around a business model in order to keep it larger and keep it growing, you have to do whatever you have to do to keep people coming through the door and keep people giving. You can't preach the truth because if you preach the truth, people are going to stop coming and they'll stop giving and your business model breaks down. Amen. And that's why they, have to, you know, they get out there and they produce these songs that, that are as close to the... You can't even tell that they're Christian unless you knew what the words were. 
And even that is, is really blasphemous because it's rock music that is being played with Jesus' name, and Jesus cannot stamp his name of approval on anything that's rock music or anything related to it. And when you have these churches that are out there doing that, they're doing it for filthy lucre. Many of your, your modern churches are just money-making operations. A pastor ought to be paid, but he ought not to be doing it for that. Filthy lucre doesn't only mean money either. I shouldn't be motivated by any of that filthy lucre. I should not be doing it for possessions. I shouldn't be doing it for position. I shouldn't be doing it for praise. I shouldn't be doing it for popularity. I should be doing it for Jesus Christ, and I should be doing it willingly, and I should be ready to do it anytime that call is given to me. But the pastor is to lead. Sometimes we have the idea that the church is a democracy. You did not get that from the Bible. The church is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. It's led by God who calls his shepherd. The chief shepherd calls his under-shepherd to lead the sheep. And then the Bible says that the shepherd is to lead. You have some churches today where the shepherd is not the leader. All they, you know, all they, uh, uh, he stands up and he says, you know, all you sheep that want to graze over here say bye. And all you sheep that want to graze over here say bye. And whoever gives the loudest bye is, all right, this is the direction that we're going in. That's not a leader that is not shepherding the sheep. The sheep don't choose where they want to go graze. The shepherd's job is to give the sheep what they need and to feed that, that, those sheep. Somebody said if, if, if your pastor is a man of God, follow him, and if he's not, fire him. If you have a man of God, and I'm doing my best to be a man of God, then you ought to follow the pastor that God gave you as your leader. I'm not to be a dictator. We see that in verse number three of 1 Peter chapter five, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. A pastor is supposed to lead by example. And I say all the time that if I, if I want you to jump a foot, I've got to jump three feet. And my, my wife and my kids know that I'm doing the best in our home to jump three feet. I'm not preaching something to you on Sunday and going out and living a different way the rest of the week. I'm not, I don't expect you to do something that I'm not doing myself. I don't have a right to ask you to give sacrificially if I'm not doing it. I don't have a right to ask you to share the gospel passionately and often if I'm not doing it. I don't have a right to, to ask you to pray if I'm not praying. The pastor is to lead by serving, but he is the leader. And when we see what God has done and when we see that we're the sheep of his pasture and that he's put us in a flock so we can be led and fed and protected and that he has given you a shepherd and he's called that man and equipped that man to lead, then you should follow him. When we start seeing people obey God's command as they're led by God's man, then they're going to start seeing our churches be what God intended for that church to be. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 5, but turn over to Hebrews, just a couple pages over for most of you. Hebrews chapter 13. And, and this is a verse that, that I know we, we teach to our kids. Our kids have memorized it. You've probably memorized it, and we use it often to talk about, you know, following authority. And most of the time, as, as you know, parents leading the home, you ought to obey the authority of your parents. And you should obey the authority of your parents. But he says this very plainly in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Obey them that have the rule over you. I'm going to give an account someday for what happens in this church. 
And you're going to give an account for how you follow the leader that God placed in front of you. You want to have a preacher that makes you feel good about yourself every time you, you leave? Or do you want to have a pastor that loves you and cares about you and cares about your relationship with God and cares about you having God's blessing on your life and cares about having God's power on your life for service and whose desire is to help you draw close to Christ? And that often means that I have to preach things that I know are going to make you uncomfortable. And it's never my desire to do that. And I fight with myself sometimes and I fight with God sometimes because I don't want to preach things that are going to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to preach things that I know you're not going to like. I don't want to make you feel bad, but they're in the Bible and I have to preach to you the whole counsel of God or I will have failed in my duty as your leader and as your shepherd and as your guide. I didn't wake up one morning and decide I'm going to try to make everybody so mad that they'll leave the church. It's hard. It's very hard. I know it's not popular preaching. And I know most people don't want to hear it, but if I fail, I will answer to God for that. I'm willing to have people mad at me. I'm willing to have a smaller church than most as long as I feel that God is pleased by what we're doing here in this church. The pastor is to guard the sheep. The pastor is to guide the sheep, but also the pastor is to grow the sheep. That's in the idea of feeding the sheep that we find there in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Sheep have to be led to water. They have to be led to pasture. The shepherd has to be constantly moving his sheep from one place to another to make sure that they're nourished. Everything depends on the proper feeding of the sheep. That's why it's so important, I believe, that, that you're here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You get one meal a week, that's not enough. You're going to be spiritually weak. You're going to be spiritually malnourished. And I take a lot of time in studying and preparing and, and, and planning out what to preach and what to say and when to preach it and how to say it so that I'm giving you what you need to help you grow spiritually. Everything depends on the proper feeding of the sheep. And unless they're wisely fed, they're going to become emaciated and sick and weak, and they become more vulnerable to the enemy, and, and then the investment in them is wasted. I've got a lot of time invested in a lot of people in this church, and if I fail in my duty of preaching the gospel and fail in my duty of preaching the whole counsel of God, then I'm wasting that investment because you're going to become so weak that you're not going to be useful in God's service. And what good is a group of sheep that can barely stand, let alone go out and be profitable? It's not the pastor's job to reproduce sheep. Some churches may not be growing, and they may say something like, well, we're not growing. What we need to do is hire us a pastor who's a, a great soul-winning pastor, and if we get us a great soul-winning pastor, then our church will start to grow. No, that's not what they need. Now, the pastor should be an example, and the pastor should be a soul winner, and if he preaches soul winning, then he ought to be an example in soul winning. I was just talking to Nitin the other, uh, I think Wednesday night, and we were talking about the idea of, of, of soul winning and sharing the gospel. And I said, I've got a lot of lines in the water. I've shared the gospel with a lot of people who have not gotten saved, but I don't give up on them just because I shared the gospel with them one time. I continually looking, looking for ways to get the gospel into conversations and, and have an opportunity to sit down, with, sit down to, to uh, lunch with them and share the gospel to them again. Look, how, many, how much better are your chances of catching a fish if you got 50 lines in the water as opposed to one or none? You're not just going to walk to the edge of the pool and see a fish swimming around there and say, boy, I hope that thing jumps up in my cooler so I can take it home. 
Right? But that's the way a lot of people expect to go out and win souls to Christ. Well, I'm a Christian, and people know that I'm a Christian, so if they want to talk about it, they'll come to me. No, it's not how. You've got to throw the line out there. That's why the Bible calls us fishers of men. And the more lines you have in the water, the more outreach you have, the more people you're talking to about Jesus Christ, the more your chances of leading somebody to Christ, the, the better your chances get. But that's not the way to grow the church. It's not, to, it's not for the pastor to be a soul winner. The way to grow a church is to get a man of God to stand in the pulpit of God and open up the word of God and preach the word of God with power to the people of God. And then them being healthy will make them want to go out and share the gospel with other people. That's how you grow a church. A healthy church is going to reproduce. And that's what my goal is. And that's why I preach as passionately and as hard as I do many times. Because if you're not healthy, you're not going to reproduce. And if you don't reproduce, then your generation dies. Christianity will be dead in a few generations if we continue on the path that we're going on right now in Christianity. We have so many fewer Christians today than we did in the last generation. And many fewer, a whole lot fewer than that in the generation before. Because we're not reproducing ourselves because we have churches full of unhealthy sheep. Because they're not being fed. They're not being given the Bible. It's my job to feed the flock so that the flock can reproduce itself. A lot of churches now have the idea that they can hire a pastor or a staff and go out and do the work of reproducing the church. The job of the pastor is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That takes time. I have to have time. I have to make sure that I have the time to spend with God. What a great responsibility it is. That's why in, the, in Acts chapter 6, the, the, the early apostles uh, appointed deacons. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 2, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what the job of the pastor was. They brought in the deacons to carry on the ministry of the church. And, to, and uh, by the way, they didn't elect deacons to make up a board and run the church and make all the decisions and tell the pastor what he's going to do and not do with the church. That's not what a deacon board is designed to do. The deacons were, were, were elected and were appointed to serve the people, to serve tables, to help the widows. That's what the deacons were, were there to do. God didn't give the responsibility of leading the church to the deacons. No board or committee ought to be running the church. Anytime you have a church that's run by a committee, you have a nest full of trouble. I can't tell you how many times I've seen churches that, that had, had committees, and the committees couldn't even agree with each other, and the committees didn't agree with the pastor, and there was a bunch of infighting and everything else because the committees were trying to run the church. That's not the way God... I don't find committees in the Bible. That's not the way that a church is designed to run. I'm not saying that you can't have... Uh, have a committee or something like that to help in making an informed decision and getting the best advice that you can to make a decision going forward. But God ordains the pastor as the leader and the head to follow God's leading and to take oversight in that role. That's, that's the position he's appointing when he says there in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. It's the responsibility of the sheep Make sure they're in the sheepfold at feeding time if they're going to stay healthy. I desperately seek to know God's will and what to preach and when. Sometimes I know what the sheep need and I know it's something that must be preached. And other times God pokes at something specific in your life that I knew nothing about. Because I'm just the under shepherd. 
And I don't know everything there is to know about the sheep, but the chief shepherd does. And if I'm in tune with the chief shepherd, then he'll tell me what I need to preach for what the sheep need. I need to know what God wants me to preach, and then I preach it. And often God has a message for one of his sheep that doesn't show up at feeding time. By the way, I never have and I never will preach a message for one person. Because number one, I'm not in the, in the business of calling people out. And number two, as soon as I prepare a message for one sheep, that sheep is not going to be there. And it's, it's going to be wasted on everybody else. But you, you'll never know what you don't know about the Bible if you're not there to hear it. But that does not excuse you from the consequences of not obeying it. You cannot say when you stand before God one day, I didn't know, and use that as an excuse. If you are in a church that's preaching the Bible and preached on that very thing that you said you didn't know about, you can't use I didn't know as an excuse. If God brought you to this church and God placed it on your pastor's heart to preach it, then God wanted you to hear it. If you choose not to come hear it, then I believe you're just as responsible for God as if you heard it and chose not to obey. Pastor is to guard the sheep. Pastor is to guide the sheep. Pastor is to grow the sheep. And lastly, turn over to John chapter 10, if you will. The pastor loves his sheep. And I know that's not an alliterated point. There's no other word that begins with G to say love. And I want you to know this morning that I love each and every one of you. It doesn't take all types, but we have them. And I love you for it. I like this touch in speaking about Jesus as our shepherd there in John chapter 10 and verse 3. The second half of that verse says, And the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. You know, it, it wasn't necessary that he named all the sheep. They were just a flock. They're just going to all follow together. They're just going to go where the shepherd leads them. He didn't need to call them by name, but he did because he liked them, and he loved them. Love always individualizes. It's not love if it's not personal and intimate. And in the days of the shepherd, if he was not guarding or guiding or feeding the sheep, he was doing things with the sheep, doing something finer, honestly, than any of those other things. He was communicating with them. He was playing with them. He was talking to them, just entering as far as a man could into the, into the lives of those brute beasts, if you will. And that's what I desire to do for you. I want to love you in the way that Christ loves you. I, I would give my life in this cause of protecting this little flock, physically or spiritually. I want you to be able to stand before God someday, not have to hang your head in shame, but to be able to remove that crown from off your head and lay it at Jesus' feet. I want you to be able to lay your crown right next to mine. You see, it's love that makes all the other things work. I, I can't guard you without love. I can't guide you without love. I can't feed you without love. And I want there to be no doubt that I love you. That's why I preach the way that I do. One of these days, I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to meet and stand before the chief shepherd. And I'm going to have to say to him, Lord, this is what I've done with your sheep. And that's a responsibility that, that weighs so heavily on my shoulders. 
I don't want to have to say I failed in, in feeding your sheep. I failed in guiding your sheep. I failed to protect your sheep. I don't want to have to say I failed in loving your sheep the way that you love them. But I'm going to answer to God someday. It puts me in a wonderful position because, oh, I get to be the, the leader. I get to be the one that makes all the decisions. I get to be the one that's large and in charge. But I don't know if that's worth the responsibility that's laid on my shoulders. It is for me. It is for me. Because I know that's what God called me to do. But I'm going to answer to God for what happens in this church. And that thought sobers me. Places great responsibility on my shoulders to make sure that I'm taking care of his sheep. I need you to pray for me. That God would give this poor shepherd the strength that he needs to pastor such a flock. I want the flock to grow. And I believe it will grow. But I'm not willing to sacrifice feeding and guiding and protecting the sheep for the sake of growing. I'll stay small. I'll stay tiny. I'll stay unknown. If God could take this little flock and use us in a great way. We don't need a thousand people if those thousand people are not strong, well-fed, well-guided, well-guarded, well-protected sheep. We don't need a thousand people to reach this area. We need 50 who are sold out for God. We need 50 who are equipped and prepared and healthy to go out and reproduce. I'll take a thousand. We don't need it. We can do it with what God's given us right here. Are you willing to be led? Are you willing to be in a place where you can get what God needs you, not just wants you, needs you to get if you're going to be used in his service? We have a chief shepherd. And I'm so thankful for the privilege that God put me in the position of the under-shepherd to that chief shepherd. And I'm so thankful that he gave me you to be the sheep that I get to guide. I love you, and I want the best for you. And I wouldn't have it any other way than what we have right here, right now. God wants to use you. God wants to use us. Are you willing to be led so that he can. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the time that we've had together this morning. And I thank you for the tremendous privilege that you've given me to call me into the ministry, first of all, but to call me here. To bring each one of these sheep into this fold, all under the head of our chief shepherd. And God, I pray that you'd help me to live by an example to the point where I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. What a tremendous responsibility is laid on my shoulders. What a tremendous responsibility is laid on the shoulders of the sheep to follow the shepherd and to follow Christ. And God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to make that decision this morning that we'll be leadable and willing to follow the word of God, willing to go where we're led. 
And God, I pray that you would allow that to put us into a position where you could use us in this community to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce and reproduce and see souls won for the cause of Jesus Christ. Just thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't think this is... I don't know, maybe it is a message that has some conviction to it. It's, it's a message that I preached to myself that I allowed you to sit in on and listen. But perhaps God spoke to your heart about something this morning. I don't know. But I trust that the Holy Spirit is doing a work because I can't do it. I, I can't. I can't, if I can convince you of something and you do it because I convinced you, then as soon as I'm not here, you can be convinced to go back to the way that you were living before. And I don't want that. It's not genuine at that point. I want the Holy Spirit to do the work. I'll present it to you, but the Holy Spirit has to do the work. And so as the Holy Spirit leads you, you make the decisions that he's leading you to make. And if it's the Holy Spirit that brought that conviction, and if you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit to make that decision, then whether I'm here as your shepherd or not, it'll stick. As the piano plays, the invitation is open, you come.